Hey, what's up? Hello. Welcome to Sounds Fake But Okay, a podcast where an arrow ace girl, I'm Sarah, that's me. And a demi straight girl, that's me, Kayla. Talk about all things to do with love, relationships, sexuality, and pretty much anything else we just don't understand. On today's episode, being straight. Sounds Sounds fake, fake, but but okay. okay. Welcome back to the pod! Oh god. Uh, Ars Capone? That seems new. Hold on, I'm adjusting. I don't even know if that's new. There's no way I've done Mars Capone. I really need to, like, What is Mars Capone? It's like a sweet, I think. Oh, it's marzipan. Sorry, I only know the word in German. (laughs) (laughs) I actually only know the word in German. Hold on, I actually realize that makes me remember I have several emails uh, to share with everyone. Oh. Okay. We, we got some good emails. Oh, fuck. I never, I never read the Well, I'll the, read the it Krieg to Mita. you. We okay. got some, uh, good emails over the weekend, because I think, uh, we have some new listeners. Hello. Sorry. And, um, <laughs> so they're listening to the backlog. Uh, one of them, do you remember years, literal years ago, when we did the Sextiquette episode? Yeah. So I remember we, that it happened. That's about all I remember. Yeah. So we asked people to send in their horror stories. And I'm not going to read this whole email because it's rather long. Um, but basically this very nice person emailed us with their absolute horde story of they had, they were staying with two friends in the college dorm for a weekend, you know, when you go and visit your other friend's college or whatever. Yeah. And she was sharing a room with this guy and this girl who she was friends with who were dating. And the one night they had sex in the bunk above her. And she was like, that's, Mm. I hate this. But then, so the next night she was like, how about we all sleep on the floor together and have like, move the mattresses on the floor, have a sleepover, it'll be fun. And she was like, there's no way they can have sex now. Oh no. But then she woke up in like the early morning to find them having sex right next to her with like one of their feet was touching her and then they were driving back and she was driving them and she dropped the girl off first and then the guy was like um she was too shy to say this but we were wondering if you'd be interested in like being a third person in our relationship and she was oh like god but i kind of already am because <laughs> i had to do that <laughs> but anyway i kind of already am <laughs> they also were all from michigan and went to some colleges in michigan which i won't say for privacy but uh, oh, so I'll absolutely be reading that email. <laughs> you really, Sarah, you really must. Reading the whole thing is a wild journey, start to finish. Absolutely insane. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, the other email is from last week when we were talking about our sexual innuendos, and we had the German one. What was it, Sarah? Uh, Blitzkrieg mit der um, Fleischgewehr. Uh, so it's something about... What is it about? Lightning rod? Lightning war, lightning, lightning war with the meat rifle. Yes. Uh, so a very nice listener named Max uh, emailed and said that the phrase... I don't know if they're German or they just know this. I don't know if they said. But basically, the phrase comes from a song called Pussy by the band, the German band Ram- Ramstein. Rammstein. Is that from Rammstein? Sure. Which it's, re- it's Rammstein. 
Okay. <laughs> which regularly hinted at right wing slash Nazi ideology. The band was therefore often criticized for reenactment, despite their critical stance they took to such ideas. Uh, the album the song is from is called Lieb ist für all da. Love is for everyone. Lieb ist für alle da. Is that I kind of did a good job. Uh, which I guess is ironic. <laughs> I'm just guessing based on your pronunciation. Yeah. I guess is ironic because a lot of the songs are uh, talk about some bad things with uh, mm. abuse. Uh, mm. So they say if the phrase the tr phrase for the lightning and the meat stick is disgusting, it's because it was intended to be repelling. Mm, that checks out. Rammstein is a wild time. So, uh, yeah, those are just uh, some emails from our inbox that I thought I would share. <laughs> How exciting. Uh, yes. <laughs> okay. Well, on that note, Kayla, what are we talking about this week? This week, listen, so last week, asexual was trending on Twitter, which can it can mean good things and bad things. Usually it comes... Usually, usually both. both. <laughs> usually both. So basically... Nickelodeon tweeted about Spongebob, or tweeted about their queer characters, included Spongebob. Everyone was like, oh my god, Spongebob is gay. And then turned off replies and left. Yeah, they really <laughs> did turn off the replies and leave, which is, I mean, I get it. But anyway, but then everyone was like, no, he's asexual. The creator said literally 15 years ago that he was asexual. But then there's like, okay, is that a good thing though? Because he's a sponge. We'll get in, we'll probably cover the Spongebob thing at a later date. Uh, anyway, basically a lot of aphobia came about, uh, as it does when asexuality is on Twitter, and, you know, there was the usual asexual people aren't in the queer community, blah blah blah, which led me to this topic, which I think we've, like, talked about it lightly in other episodes, and I did tweet about it, because I was going off on Twitter when I was supposed to be helping my sister move into her new apartment. I uh, sure saw the tweets, and I texted Kayla, and I was like, it's getting spicy. <laughs> sometimes you feel spicy. Uh, and so, basically, today we're talking about the, like, heteronormative idea that people seem to have that ace people are just actually straight. Yeah. Well, because a lot of... I didn't pay that close attention to the Spongebob discourse because, um, on one hand, I don't fucking care. Um, <laughs> but, like, also, like, the thing that just frustrated me most was people were being like, no, he's gay, no, he's ace, he can be both. He can? Like, it's have you seen, I texted Sarah, I was like, have you seen Daniel? He's both. Yeah. Have you seen hey, Daniel? Slice of Ace? Have, have you seen Slice of, do you even watch Slice of Ace? Do you even God. know, bruh? <laughs> um, but like he could be homo romantic asexual and I mentioned that to my uh roommate and he was like, What? And I was like, I'm not going I'm not getting into this. Oh uh, <laughs> oh James, sweet summer child. <laughs> sweet summer child. Um but it's like he can literally be both nothing fucking matters. But yeah, there is this this assumption that either ace people are still somehow straight or just like the general societal assumption that like straight is the default like let's not there is no default yeah i just like i think there's already 
with aphobic people the assumption that, like, asexuality isn't a sexuality. You just, like, don't want to have sex. And therefore, Mm -hmm. you're just straight and don't want to have sex. And I just, like... Yeah. It's just very... It's just very, like, upsetting to see within the queer community, which I also, someone yelled at me for saying queer community, but, like, I get that some people don't like using the word queer, but also, like, if I want it, whatever. Uh, As as a person who I identify as queer, if I want to use the word queer, I can. Yeah, I just, it's, like, a personal thing. You shouldn't be policing. If if you don't want to, you don't have to. Yeah, no, that's fine. But, like, anyway. It's just, like, I mean, aphobia is, like, most upsetting to see i think within the queer community in general but then to see the queer community or members of it also like having such heteronormative ideas it's just like mm-hmm. guys i thought we like you're supposed to be the good ones you're supposed to be the ones who get it yeah yeah i was i was trying to think of when i was thinking about how like straight isn't the default sexuality i was trying to think of like an equivalent comparison and i was like okay, white isn't the default race, but it's often treated that way. Yeah. Um, so I was, I was like, trying to think of an example. The only thing I could think of is, like, saying that brown is the default eye color just because there are more people have brown eyes than any other color. Huh. I don't know how good of a metaphor that is, though. Yeah, I think that one's hard also because I think blue eyes are the ideal in society. That's true. So I feel like if any eye color were to be the quote-unquote default, it would be blue. Anyway. But because of reasons of genetics, fewer people have it. I'm just special, Kayla. Uh, yeah, and my eyes look like poop. Dean literally told me yesterday we were FaceTiming, and he was like, I love looking into your eyes because it's like looking in little pools of poo. (laughs) Listen, brown (laughs) eyes are great. They do all sorts of fun things. They do look good. I when say as like, a person who has blue eyes. <laughs> yeah, fuck you. The only time brown eyes, I think, well, the only time I think my eyes look special is when the light hits them directly. They kind of like glow. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this isn't anything. I know, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> this isn't anything, though. Uh, <laughs> it's been a long day, folks. It's just um, a bad metaphor. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, I mean, I... Well, no, because that's also a color thing. I was going to say, like, the default ice cream is vanilla, but that's, like, maybe kind of racist, too. I don't know. Nothing makes sense. Nothing matters. Um, I don't know. I think it's just, like, it's just, like, this weird thing of, like, okay, in a way you can look at asexuality or aromanticism as, like, a lack of sexuality, which, like, isn't how it works, but, like, I can see how anyone could kind of go at it from that stance. Yeah. But, well, okay, so, I mean, the problem with that stance, though, is that it, it, like, assumes that if you were to put a sexuality, quote-unquote, there, that, I get, it's like the same thing you were saying, that people assume that heterosexuality is the norm, and so if you're like, okay, this person, quote-unquote, lacks a sexuality, let me put one on them. And then they just automatically go to straight. Right. And I, like, in terms of, like, asexuality being, like, supposedly the lack of a sexuality, I often think of, like, like, I, I mean, obviously we've talked about this, like, the way that we are always talking about asexuality on the podcast is the sexuality of not being attracted to anyone, right? But, like, um, 
some a lot of times people refer to asexuality as like in in reference to like a character or a persona like i'm just thinking of uh sharana j brown's article where she was talking about like the asexuality of mammy um and like that's like not the same and i think sometimes people even in the community don't get that when you're talking about the absence of a sexuality in like media or something is not necessarily the same thing as an individual being asexual yeah i think that's a yeah that's a very interesting thought because i think with the spongebob thing too a lot of people were like okay it's a cartoon character it's a kid character like you shouldn't put a sexuality on them which is like that's another argument for another time but like I I do like there is a difference between like you looking at a a real life three year old and being like okay they don't like they haven't had like a sexual awakening so like you would kind of put the characteristic of asexual on them because they don't have the capacity to think about higher level mm-hmm. concepts like that but there's a difference between that like and actually being it. Yeah, and I think the especially difficult thing for ASPEC communities in particular is because um, there is a certain asexuality applied to children when they're young because they're children. And, like, the no five-year-old that I've ever heard of is like, I want to have sex. Yeah, if they <laughs> right do, they're probably now. watching some interesting TV. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, like that's just there's there is a certain asexuality to children but it is the asexuality in terms of not like it's it's hard to differentiate between the two i wish there were different words yeah to differentiate between like not placing a sexuality on a person versus the sexuality of being asexual and not feeling attraction to other people but that is part of the problem with with aceness is that you although obviously like as an adult, I can look back at my childhood and be like, oh, yeah, I was so ace. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, when when you are a child, you, you don't necessarily see that in the same way that you might see a gay kid or, like, a, a trans kid. Like, trans kids know young that they're yeah, trans. Yeah, yeah. And, um, a, like, a lot of, like, otherwise queer kids, like, they know from a young time, like, they have a crush on the X person and it's not sexual necessarily at that point, but it is kind of like a little kid, like little romance crush. Right. Yeah. Um, and because, um, like a romantic people won't have that. It's just harder to identify until you're older. And so I think it just, it feels like it's in a kind of a different category of queerness sometimes, which I feel like is another reason why, it might be pushed away by other members of the queer community just because our realizing we're uh, Arrow or Ace or wherever on the spectrum, we don't have the same experience in terms of the questioning period. Yeah. Something, now I'm just like going off on a tangent, but that's fine because that's this podcast. Um, It's the podcast. But I think like when I was thinking about this topic, I was thinking the other day, like when you, when people go to explain the act of sex to their kids or like where babies come from you know the it's like the cliche like when a man and a woman love each other very right. much but even if you were explaining 
a gay couple. You would be like, well, mommy and daddy love each other like this, and those men love each other the same way. But, like, literally, how would you explain asexuality to a kid without explicitly saying sex? And, like, I don't know that that's necessarily a problem. Like, I do think sex needs to be less taboo, and, like, sex education should start younger and whatever, but, like, it's hard to break the norm of straightness with a child because like if you're raising your child as inclusively as possible and you talk to them openly about different sexualities chances are you're not going to talk about sex you're going to say love you're going to say like in a you know couple whatever but like Mm -hmm. to be inclusive of asexuality and kind of keep in mind the split model of attraction that with a child that's incredibly difficult children don't Children, especially, like, on the younger side, as they get older, of course, but, like, on the younger side, they just don't... They don't get the nuance. They don't have the process for that. Yeah. And, I mean, I think it's obviously going to be easier to explain aromanticism than asexuality, but I think even aromanticism is a little bit harder to, Mm -hmm. to tangibly understand as a child because, you know, when you're talking about, like, you know, these two men love each other, these two women love each other, like these two non-binary people love each other or this man loves this non-binary person like it's they're able to look at the people around them and see what kind of relationships people have and apply them to different genders and different combinations and stuff whereas for aromanticism it's it's a little bit harder for them to be like you know this person doesn't feel that way towards other people but they still have a fulfilling life. Like, it's it's yeah. hard to be like, okay, well, this is the line between romance and platonic relationships. Yeah. And it's like, well, that, yeah, this child's three. Like, what? <laughs> to, yeah, to a child, like, I, platonic love and romantic love are probably the same. Like, I don't think children yeah. realize that, like, the love that their parents have for each other is different than, like, them and their best friend. <laughs> I, I highly doubt that, like, young children really grasp that. Yeah, yeah like, a three-year-old doesn't know. Yeah. And so it's complicated. It's been a tangent. It's a true tangent. It's true. But real. I just... I don't know. I think, like, the assumption of straightness as well as the regular things that come along, like, the regular phrases or whatever of aphobia of, like, oh, you're just, like, childish, you're just not mature, like, you are just traumatized still has the assumption of like you have a a certain sexuality you're just too xyz to know that right necessitates the thought that there is a a true quote-unquote underlying sexuality that Mm -hmm. is then being like suppressed by right whatever that is then assumed to be straight yeah yeah i also think when when Kayla brought up this topic with me, it made me think of the question of, like, what sexuality would you be if you weren't ace? Um, which, uh, we've literally talked about that on this podcast before. And we've done like, a whole episode on that, but... That's something we've discussed. Uh, but, like, it's kind of, on, on its face, it's kind of an absurd question. Because, like, bitch, I'm ace. Like, I don't know. I could make some guesses. I, I have made guesses. They're in a previous episode of the pod, if you want to track them down. <laughs> but, like, um, it's not like you would walk up to a gay person and be like if you weren't gay what would your sexuality be or perhaps even even a a better example might be like walking up to like a bi or a pan person and being like if you weren't bi or pan you know what would your sexuality be like there's no answer to that yeah i do also think 
like it it brings up this interesting question something that i've like as i've spent more time in the ace community seen more is like oriented arrow ace people where they're like i'm arrow arrow ace but i'm oriented like gay or lesbian which mm-hmm. I think would be interesting to do, like, a whole episode on that, because I don't think that's a way you identify, Sarah, and that doesn't really apply to me. So it's not something that we have, like, firsthand experience on. But I do kind of wonder from... I don't know that aphobes are even aware that that exists, because I don't think they care enough to, like, read into the nuance of everything. And that is, like, yeah. similar to micro-identities, that is kind of a more nuanced part but yeah, I would be interested, not that I want to talk to an AFO, but I would be interested in hearing, like, if you're an, or if you're Arrow Ace and oriented lesbian, are you, then are you allowed in the queer community? Like, right. if you're Arrow Ace and oriented straight, then what are you? Yeah. Do you want to explain to people, I guess, a little bit better what people mean when they say that they're like arrow ace oriented a certain way yeah i mean i won't pretend to have the best knowledge of it so if i'm wrong someone completely uh tell me and i will correct myself in future episodes but from what i understand is if we kind of understand the split model of the traction of course there's romantic and sexual which if you're your arrow ace then you're aromantic asexual but there's also two or more other kind of types of attraction with like sensual, 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 sensual attraction. Um, I mean, even like platonic kind of leanings, um, aesthetic attraction. So from what I understand is someone that's like arrow ace, but oriented gay, then they would be aromantic, aromantic, asexual, but maybe they lean more towards being aesthetically or sensually Jesus fucking sensually sensually attracted to (laughs) someone of like the same gender the opposite gender whatever Mm -hmm. there's more than two genders um so it's kind of like a I'm arrow ace but like I lean my interests kind of lean a certain way Mm -hmm. yeah and like I me as an arrow ace person I don't really have that experience but I also I I almost want to say like the people who like are able to recognize that are almost just like woker aces and I don't mean that in the sense that they're like actually more woke it just like when I'm comparing my experience to that like I grew up assuming I was straight and so then I figured out I was arrow ace and I realized I was not straight but I I thought I was straight just because society was like that's the default right and so um like for people who understand that they're oriented a certain way i'm like you are on another plane of existence (laughs) i think (laughs) it it does take like a lot of kind of self understanding of like yeah of because i'm a like at like i guess from where you stand obviously you don't orient a certain way but from growing up thinking you were straight i can imagine that in your mind like you'd be like well if i was oriented a certain way maybe i would orient straight because that's just what you've assumed your whole life like i think it takes yeah a lot of time and a lot of thought to be like okay here's what i've assumed but is that actually true and how do i know that yeah like you're looking into yourself and being like okay is this what's been assigned to me or is this how i actually feel and that's not something that for me i 
care enough to like dive into like I'm airways I I don't really think I orient a certain way and if I did I wouldn't really care um but for some people you know that's that's something that they they want to know where they feel is a a part of them so by all means yeah I think figure that shit out it's particularly probably I get to you I don't know that it would be incredibly relevant like you're not dating you don't have Mm -hmm. sex as far as Mm -hmm. I know but for <laughs> surprise, no su- surprise. Uh, but for asexual people who are like quote unquote sex positive, who do like participate in sex, who do date, it mm-hmm. would like make a difference who you orient towards because maybe you orient towards women, and so you're like, well, these are the people I want to like have sex with if I am gonna have sex. Right. Yeah. Yep. That's fair. Whereas I'm just like, I'd like to read a book. I'm good, thanks. I'm perfectly fine. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. But, y- listen, y'all aeroaces or just aspect people who know which way you orient, you are on another plane of existence, and I admire that about you. That is, yeah, it's just not to say that if you aren't that, you should feel bad. You, you, don't, don't, because I'm not that, and it's, I'm like, just like, oh, yeah. okay, cool. <laughs> I also, like, it does... I think it could, if you're interested in kind of understanding where you might orient, it could, like, prolong the questioning process in, for some people, maybe a painful way. So I don't want anyone to feel pressured to, like, well, fuck, I just figured out I'm ace and now I have to, like, (laughs) delve into the six other types of attraction. Like, no, it's okay. Yeah, you really don't. (laughs) It's like, if you don't feel the need, then don't. But if you do, that's great. And you have a great understanding of yourself. And congratulations. And I feel like a lot of people, specifically people who are questioning their, like, whether they're aromantic or not, like, I think um, if if you start thinking too much about which way you orient, you might start, like, questioning, like, am I actually arrow? Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's a, a pretty common problem, even for people who aren't thinking about which way they orient, but they're just, you know, society has told them that they are, <laughs> you know, the straight is the default, right? So, like... Yeah. But I mean, that was the, that was an issue I had where I was like, do I have a crush on this boy or do I just want to be friends with this boy? I can't tell. Yeah. Um, and it was because of the, the assumptions that society placed on me that made me question whether or not I was actually aromantic. Um, and that's something that I think a lot of eras really struggle with because um, it's it's kind of easier to discern if you feel sexually attracted to someone than if you feel romantically attracted to them um feel like there's a harder line so it's just it's a wild time yep i guess here's a question how do we as a society or just to people who are parents or people who are dealing with children or whatever how do you remove the idea that straight is the default I mean, I think there's two levels of wokeness here. Okay. I think the first level and the easiest level is removing the assumption of straightness. The second, deeper, much more difficult level is removing the assumption of a romantic or a sexual attraction at all. Yeah. Which is much more niche, and maybe asexual and aromantic people are the only people that care about that level yeah i mean i think it just goes back to what i was saying earlier about how like 
there's a difference between like being aromantic in terms of not assigning something to a child and being aromantic or asexual in terms of like not feeling that attraction and i think that just it just goes to further the idea that like there there are some different things about being aspec than yeah. other queer identities and there's there's no going around that <laughs> like yeah. it's just it's a slightly different experience and if we want queer communities to embrace that we're gonna have to get queer communities to accept us first (laughs) yeah i mean it's hard i mean i think every sexuality comes comes with its own kind of unique issues and also like also good things as well obviously but yeah i mean yeah the thing and we've talked about this a lot the thing about asexuality and aromanticism is people just like inherently don't get it like they can't often Mm -hmm. wrap their minds around it and so that's I mean, that's very yeah. difficult. And I think, like, the thing about removing the assumption of straightness is that, like, a lot more people have, like, a stake in that issue. Like, yes. you, that's every sexuality is going to be interested in getting that forward. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, not that many queer people, like, care enough to be like, I am not a spec, but I will help you do this, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, there's also the fact that that makes it much more difficult is that all of us were raised in a heteronormative society where um, straightness has been considered the default. And so it's a lot harder to, to teach to children, you know, that that there isn't a single default when our brains are hardwired to, to think there is, even if we know, like... Even if we know logically that there 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 is no default, like we were still raised to, to assume that there was, um, and I think that's part of the problem with like trying to figure out how to remove this assumption from society is like it's it's especially hard for us to do it because you know we had the assumption thrust upon us our whole lives. Yeah, I mean, I think especially for people raised by like straight cis parents, like there's a lot of unlearning to do. Right. Like, I think children who grew up with queer parents definitely have, like, an upper hand in the learning process Mm -hmm. because from a young age they were like, oh, I have two moms, I have two dads, I have whatever. Mm -hmm. And so they, like, grew up understanding that there is both. But, like, for me, I, I can't tell you how old I was when I learned there was gay people, but, like, there was a point where I learned. Like, you don't just, like, like for you know what i mean like it's it's something that comes later in life when you get exposure to like outside families and everything but yeah it is hard because we don't have a model for like oh well this is how my mom and dad taught me about this so this is how i'm going to teach my children like i learned from the internet like what am i going to do sit my three-year-old in front of a tumbler and be like okay go yeah no i i i also understand that because even though as I've discussed on this podcast, my dad's side of the family is extraordinarily queer. Incredibly. But um, it's, it's, the queerness really manifests itself in my generation. And so when I was little, it's not like there were queer couples around or like that sort of thing. Um, my, my godfather, a very close family friend, um, is gay, but he it wasn't until i was i believe he didn't come out until after i was born um and then 
it wasn't until I was probably in middle school that I ever remember him, like, seriously dating anyone. Um, maybe he did before that, and I just, I wasn't aware. Um, and then now, of course, he's married and he has a kid, but, like, you know, his daughter's only four? Four? Um, so, like, she's obviously growing up in a very different, with a very different understanding of things with her having two dads than I did when I was four, despite there being so many queer people in my family, you know, the queer people in my family were at that point still kids themselves or just not like being as openly queer as we all are now. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think the hard thing is like, there's always going to be an issue there. Like your earliest models and your earliest understanding of things come from your parents or from whoever you're like growing up with in your household. Like, it's very true, I think, that, like, romantic relationships and platonic relationships both, like, how you handle relationships often comes from, if you have two parents, like, seeing how your parents interact and seeing how they talk to each other. And so, like, a lot of people who maybe have, like, their parents fought a lot or they had, like, got a divorce, those people might have, like, extra baggage coming in because they didn't have great models of, like, what a quote-unquote good relationship looked like. Anyway, so people growing up with straight parents are always going to have some unlearning to do because mm-hmm. that's just their model. Yeah, I was also going to say people whose whose parents are very um, traditional in terms of gender roles. Mm-hmm. There's unlearning to do there. Uh, so I think there's, you know, if, if, if your parents uh, follow gender roles very specifically, there's a, a mother and a father and the mother kind of does everything for the father. Um, you're going to have to unlearn that before you can unlearn anything else, right? Yeah. Like, there's there's layers of unlearning, and so depending on how you grew up, um, there, there might be a lot of unlearning to do. And as I saw in a tweet recently that resonated with me, oh. um, it, it was about unlearning, like, racism, mm. but, like, they were basically saying, like, it's it's hard to unlearn stuff. You have yeah. to leave your ego at the door. Mm-hmm. Like this is this doesn't have to do with you. Yeah. It's not about you. Stop making it about you. No, <laughs> I've caught myself a lot doing that like the past couple weeks especially where I'll be thinking mm-hmm. about like the racial issues going on and then I'll be like, "Oh shit, that makes me look like such a bad person to think that." And then I'm like, "Well, fuck you. It's not about what it makes you look like. Also, that was just a thought you had to yourself. So like calm down." Yeah. But like like every time I have a racist thought, I'm like, "Oh, that's fucking racist." Yeah. <laughs> and then like I feel weird and like guilty about it which is like good that I feel bad that I thought that but also like you just got to sit with it and be like all right I'm learning from this it's hard it's uncomfortable Mm -hmm. but I'm gonna do it and I that very same thing can apply to to all of the things we're talking about with with straightness as the default but I think like so obviously you grow up with a certain model especially if your parents are traditional there's gonna be a lot of unlearning but I do think if your parents are able to, like, start teaching you early, like, I've seen a lot of, like, children's books recently that are, like, there's two dads in this children's book and you can, like, use it as a way to teach your kids or whatever. Like, Mm -hmm. obviously that's not going to do everything, but I think, like, the sooner you can start unlearning, like, from childhood, like, the easier it's going to be when you grow up. Yeah, and... 
I've also seen some discourse, again, this has been around race mostly, but um, I think it's also applicable here, uh, some discourse about, like, children's books, um, how it's it's best if they, like, specifically address race. Like, I know that Kristen Bell recently came out with a book about, like, purple people, yeah. and full disclosure, I love KB, but there has been some criticism yeah. of, like, this book, so, like, no one's purple. Like, yeah, don't like don't not. give these kids metaphors. Give them something concrete. You know, kids um, don't do metaphors. They, do, like, yeah. I'm, I I was a psychology major, and, um, <laughs> like, kids' brains aren't big enough for that. Yeah, and so, like, it's well-intended, but yeah. you need to be explicit and distinct. And I think that that same thing can apply to, to queerness. Yeah. I mean, I think, like... It might seem overbearing for people to, like, if you're watching a TV show with your kids and there's a gay character, like, I don't think it's a bad idea to, like, pause the show and be like, let's talk about this. Like, even if your kid is young and a lot of it will go mm -hmm. over their head, like, they take in a lot of information. And speaking as someone who doesn't have children and knows nothing about parenting, um, like, <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with being incredibly direct with your kids about that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I have a horrible memory. I have the memory of a guppy. I don't remember a single yes. goddamn thing. Like, was I a child at some point? I don't know, I guess. Uh, but I do have a very distinct memory of, like, being in my den and, like, my mom, like, pulling up, like, a the Facebook post that my cousin had made where he came out and she was being like, like, you know, this is okay, right? And we were like, yeah, duh. How old like, were you? <laughs> I have no idea. Good. I really don't know. Uh, I, I I guess I could ask my mom or I guess just ask my cousin how old he was when he came <laughs> out um, and do some math. But um, I mean, I was young enough. I, I think my cousin was in high school hmm. um, and he's uh, a handful of years older than me. Oh. Um, uh, but, like, I still have that very distinct memory, and, like, that stuck with me. Yeah. And, like, even though at the time I was like, yeah, like, why are you making a big deal out of this? Yeah. <laughs> like, sure, I don't care. <laughs> um, but, like, I still remember that, and I think, I think if you are direct with kids with that sort of thing, like, they'll have a better grasp on it, and they'll remember it. Yeah, and I think... Like, a lot of what I think we've been talking about is kind of directed towards straight people of, like, that'll help mm -hmm. educate your kids if they're straight. But, like, also, if your kid is queer and you have, like, I'm sure you and your sister having that vivid memory of your mom saying that, like, helped you be comfortable coming out to your parents. Yeah. Yeah. So, like... Like, my, sis my sister has said that, like, she... I mean, coming out is, is hard, right? Right. But my sister never really, I mean, I don't want to speak for her, but, like, never really had any true concerns about, like, our parents just, like, yeah, throwing us to the curb. Like, yeah. like I mean, some, people, other, some people do have that experience. But, like, there's other because things we grew to be, up, yeah. Right. So, like, it was still a scary time, but, like, it, because we'd had that conversation with our mom, we, we knew that it wasn't going to be like, well, <laughs> goodbye. Kicking you to the curb. Yeah. So, like, I think it can just, like, it can do a lot of good of just, like, helping your kid understand and, like, just have a broader view of what 
people are like, but also then reassure them if they grow up and later, or even when they're a child, realize they're queer, then they're going to be like, well, mom talked to me about this, so seems like she's chill. Yeah, and I think even for queer people who have kids, like, it's important to talk about this stuff and be specific with your kid slash kids, too, because whatever your experience of of sexuality and queerness is and whatever they see you doing is is not necessarily going to be the standard because guess what there's no standard oh so oh no (laughs) um so i think i mean i think this applies to everyone um and like you have to start with kids like i know i've been focusing a lot on like how to talk to like kids but Um, like it really starts there or it should yeah and like as an adult the unlearning i guess the difference is as a kid it's learning as and as an adult it's unlearning yeah and it's a it's a a very different approach you take yeah and um i think it's so important to to start getting into the heads of of parents and being like you need to make sure that your kid is not learning something the the wrong way so that they're so that they have to unlearn it when they're older Mm -hmm. well it's kind of like it's not, I don't know, I think it's a similar, like, concept of, like, not just being not racist, by, but being anti-racist. It's, like, it's yeah. not enough to be, like, well, I'm an inclusive person, so my kid is probably going to grow up to be the same way. You need to yeah. take, like, an active approach to talk to your kid about all this stuff, about race, about sexuality, about all of that. Like, you can't just mm-hmm. assume that they will somehow inherently pick up whatever you're not putting right. down <laughs> Like, you don't know what your kids are going to hear when they go to school or when they go to daycare or when they go hang out on the playground. Like, you can't control that. What you can control is what you teach them about what is right and what is wrong. Mm -hmm. And also, like, kids, it's just so much easier for kids to learn. Like, kids Their brains are like clay. Like, (laughs) they pick up languages super fast. They do whatever. Like, it's so hard for adults to learn anything or unlearn it. Literally... If I tried to put something new in my brain right now, it would it just would fall right out. You know in um, the second Hunger Games in Catching Fire, how they discover that if you get to the edge of the arena and you throw something at like the the uh, the like the force field or whatever it is, it'll just like fly back. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what my brain is like with new information. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Yeah, it'll just come flying back out at you. How, if that's true, how do people in the Hunger Games send them gifts? Where do the gifts come from? They came through the the ceiling. Because, I mean, the arena has, it has a ceiling, right? So is there a hole in the ceiling? You you could go, remember, okay, remember in Catching Fire when at the very end, when they destroy the arena, what happens? Well, major spoilers, guys. It's so many years old. <laughs> um, what happens is like, I'm I'm also thinking like in the movie there's like hexagonal yeah things, and so you know they can like kind of like turn them on and off, like so yeah. that you can send stuff through. So, but, but like, okay, so here's why I'm asking, and now it's a whole <laughs> different topic, and the podcast is basically over. Podcast I'm, is basically over, but you stick around for some fun. <laughs> I know that that dome is tall and that this wouldn't 
really be possible. But all I'm saying is if you got high enough, you could just get out the hole when the gift came. And I know there's cameras watching them. And I know this is impossible, but I still want to put this idea forward that they could just crawl out the hole and run away. Okay, I have a lot of things to say about that. The first Oh no, our fourth disagreement. <laughs> I, I wouldn't call this my fourth disagreement. I'm just saying uh, that the ceiling of the arena is so high that it literally looks like a sky. There's I know. no way. I don't care how tall the highest tree is. There's absolutely no way. And um, second of all, when when like the gifts and stuff come through or when like the the hovercraft or whatever come through to get the bodies like they they're going through the the ceiling for lack of a better word very quickly it's not like it's like we're gonna open this big old door (laughs) i just (laughs) think it's an interesting idea to think about i just think it's an interesting option to theorize about it's not like a giant garage door (laughs) i just think it's interesting okay I just think it's a nice thought to have. <laughs> I don't know if I've mentioned this on the pod, but I did recently reread Catching Fire, and that she book slaps. sent me every quote that <laughs> insinuated that Katniss was ace. Every single time I'd every, get a picture of this dang book. <laughs> I sent her so many just, just pictures of the book of just Katniss more being airways. And I was like, I get it. And then they kept coming. I basically reread the whole book also. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. I don't know. It kind of felt like it. <laughs> the second book really does slap, though. I don't know that I ever... I think I read the first one and that was it. It's it's better than the third because I skimmed some of the third. The wow. ending of the third really just makes me so mad. I didn't reread any of the first, um, but the first and the second are just different experiences. The second really felt like it resonated with what we were going through in life at that time, like Mm. right now. (laughs) I think I was too young when I tried to read the first one, and it was like too much for me, and I just never went back. I read it in eighth grade, I remember, because I remember um, I I was reading the books when I was in Germany. So I have a very specific timeline of when I read them. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Anyway... This episode, is this episode over? This episode is brought to you by Arrowace Katniss. Arrowace uh, Katniss. She's Arrowace. Shut the fuck up. I love how we have ads now. <laughs> that was fully Dear Hank and John style, where they just insert fake ads. You know who else does that? Is John Mulaney and Nick Kroll, their podcast. Mm, they do that. Yeah. But, like, they'll overlay nice. it over themselves talking. So you can hear them still talking in the background, but then other them talking on top. It's very funny. Oh, my God. Would highly recommend. <laughs> Amazing. All right. Well, on that note, what's our poll for this week? Ugh. Maybe, like, how do you think we can teach children about sexuality? I don't know. Sure. Okay. <laughs> T. All right. You'll find uh, something on our Twitter. Um. You could. Oh, uh, Kayla. What's your What's your beef in your juice this week? Uh, my beef is that um, the internet. My beef, I guess, more broadly, is like mansplaining. I. This happens a lot at work. Where I in my email at work. Um, 
Ooh, sushi for dinner. Sorry. <laughs> My mom texted me. <laughs> Fuck uh, you. <laughs> sorry. Um, I'm my, leaving that in. My, good. My email at work, you know, we have like little pictures and you can see very clearly that me and a lot of my coworkers are like young women. So it happens quite often where we will like email someone from another business or a partner or something uh, about work. Uh, and they... It's just very often that pe- men that we email will like mansplain literally how to do our jobs back to us. We've all, me and my coworkers have all had several, we're all in marketing and we've had people respond to us telling us how to market better, which is fucked up. Uh, I've just had some internet experiences recently with men being rude to me, like definitely because I'm a woman. And if I wasn't, I don't think it would have happened. So that sucks. Nice. Uh, my anyway, my juice is that uh, I am going to California next month, which is exciting. I don't know. If Will I'm she gonna... see me? No, probably not. <laughs> unless Sarah wants to come visit me. Uh, San Francisco is so far away. I know it's like a five-hour drive. Yeah, uh, but it'll be fun to have. I'm still gonna be working, but having a mini, having I dropped something. Having a mini vacation. <laughs> Yeah. My beef is, uh, so do you guys know how, um, with iPhones, once you've had an iPhone for about two years, um, the Apple gives you about a one to two month grace period, maybe three, if Apple's feeling extra spicy. And then bam, Apple just kills your phone and your phone becomes useless. Um, it's just stops working because, because Apple is like, I'm going to break your phone so that you buy a new one. Uh, that happened to me yesterday. Um, I was just just now showing Kayla how useless my phone is. It's me and Kayla useless. had me and Kayla had to do this podcast via Zoom because my fucking phone won't work. Um, yes, and it's my phone is basically just a, a, a large chunk of expensive metal right now. Um, it doesn't really do anything. Uh, and luckily, uh, my new phone is coming tomorrow. Luckily, I'm in a position where I could just get a new one. Uh, but I just hate that Apple fucking does that. It's bad. You, I, I could go on about this for days. My juice is, uh, I'm getting a COVID test tomorrow. Uh, Dean got one yesterday, and he said it was very uncomfortable, because they really get all up in your brain. I don't think that that's the kind I'm gonna have to do. Oh, not the one that goes up your nose? No. I'm not positive. I'll I'll keep you updated. <laughs> okay. Please do. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I am getting a COVID test because I've been to some protests and I want to stay safe. If anyone out there who's been at protests, highly recommend that you do what you can to try and get tested for COVID because safety... Yeah, I am uh, going to a protest tomorrow for Juneteenth, and then mm. obviously next month I'm getting on a plane, so I'm definitely going to try to be getting some tests after those yeah. experiences. Yes, indeed. All right, uh, you can tell us about your beef, your juice, uh, how you're teaching your children how to not be aphobic on our social media at Sounds Fake Pod. Uh, you can also hit us up and support us on our patreon patreon.com slash sounds fake pod uh kayla and i and by that i mean kayla has been looking into transcription stuff woof uh we're gonna be adding some new 
Patreon goals, correct? Is that what the plan yeah, is? Yeah, I think now that I've looked more into transcription, I've realized just how pricey it really is um, to get services that will, like, let us do it quickly. So once we hit our next goal, which is in $11, I think, so if you want to hit a, help us hit that, that would be great, we can start, like, slowly getting um, transcriptions up for all of our new episodes that are coming up. Um, and I think we're going to have some larger goals that will help us get the backlog up more quickly because basically to, to give you the nitty gritty of it, the cheapest services that are the ones we can afford still take a lot of manual labor on Sarah and I's part. So it just takes a long time, especially since we have full-time jobs. Um, so hopefully once we're more funded and we have more people supporting us, then we can get some higher tier, fancier transcription services that will let us get uh, everything up a lot faster. But basically, we are working on it. We want to be more accessible. Hank Green, sponsor our podcast. Oh my god, Hank, the way you haven't emailed us back and it's been two whole days and it's not like you have a thousand emails, like why? It's not like he has a book coming out next month or like no, he runs a like company or he has a YouTube channel or he has a child. Like, why didn't he just answer our email immediately? Anyway, if you don't know what you're talk know what we're talking about, don't worry about it. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> Patreon.com slash sounds fake pod. Our five dollar patrons are Jennifer Smart, Sweet Lingo, Austin Lager, Finney, Perifero, D, Megan Rowell, Quinn Pollock, Emily Collins, Book Marvel, Changing a Max, Derek and Curtis, Simona Simon, Jamie Jack, Jessica Shea, Ray Fasino, Daniel Walker, Brian, Barefoot Barker. Livy Madeline Askew, Lily Funk, James Kerr, Analysis and Space Sky Simpson, and Brooke Siegel. Hi, Brooke. Thanks for joining the party with our five dollar patrons. Thank, thank you. Thank you. you. Our $10 patrons are Kevin and Tessa at Dirty Kevin at Tessa underscore M underscore K, Arknes, who'd like to promote the Trevor Project, Benjamin Abarro, who'd like to promote Tabletop Games, Anonymous, who'd like to promote Halloween, Sarah McCoy, who'd like to promote Podcasts from a Planet Weird, My Aunt Jeannie, who'd like to promote Christopher's Haven, Cassandra, who'd like to promote their modeling Instagram at Little Red, Doug Rice, who'd like to promote Native by Kurt and Caitlin Curtis, Maggie Capelbo, who'd like to promote her dog's Instagram at MiniWeffin19, and H. Valdez. Um, our $15 patrons are Nathaniel White, Nathaniel J. White Designs.com, my mom Julie, who would like to promote free mom hugs from a distance, except in New Zealand. Sarah, well, no. Still, hap- the hugs can happen in New Zealand, uh, not at a distance. She's not saying that the free manga hugs can't happen in New Zealand. I'm really mm-hmm. just speaking for her here. Um, uh-huh. Sarah Jones, who's at Eternal Lolly Everywhere, Dia Chappelle, who'd like to promote the podcast The Beacon, Andy A, who would like to promote being in unions in the IWW, and Dragonfly, who, as always, is promoting literacy. That's a good one. <laughs> you know, that's a good thing why not uh yeah thanks for listening tune in next sunday for more of us in your ears and until then take good care of your cows